The scripture this morning is taken from Psalms 23 in the Old Testament, page 501 in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and 31 to 32 in the New Testament, page 194. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and kindness shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. From Ephesians, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. I'm going to start with the, the sad reality and hopefully get to the hopefulness. Our children, and I'm thinking about this because now we've got a second little one going into the world, but our children grow up very quickly into an unkind world. Uh, Children learn really quickly that whatever is different about somebody, maybe that's the thing I can make fun of or ridicule uh, or, or cause pain at. And I'm sure that you can imagine or remember You can go back to some experience in your own life where somebody in school said something hurtful to you, and that pain somehow walks with us. And we we learn all of those things that that we like to poke at, that are different about each other. In school, is someone's appearance, their speech abilities whether they lived up to the playbook of how I thought a, you know, a, a guy should act or a girl should act. We have all sorts of ways in which we criticize someone. And now it's also in the digital space. You don't just get that criticism when you're in person. You catch it online too. But those children who criticize and who are unkind grow up to be adults and don't magically learn kindness just by the fact of being adults. And so we do the same kinds of things, sometimes in our own unique ways. And so maybe when we see someone who's different than us, whether it's their culture, it's their their appearance, the way that they dress, somehow there's a little part of ourselves that puffs ourselves up and thinks, aren't I better than that person? We don't always say it that way. But we just start pointing at those things that are different and start ridiculing them on those things of, why on earth would someone wear their pants that way? 
Or what's, what's up with the holes in their clothes? Or why'd they get that pierced? Or all of the kinds of things that stand out to us in which we say, oh, aren't I better than that person who is different than me? And our unkindness sometimes comes out in words and sometimes it comes out in actions. And I think what concerns me today is that we are not just unkind and deal with that, but there's actually a celebration of unkindness in our culture today. Because now people see someone who says something to ridicule somebody else, uh, to mock someone who's disabled, to lie or slander about someone or their family, to say all sorts of racist or, or misogynist kinds of things, and somebody will say, isn't that great? They just say what they think. Like unkindness is a virtue in today's world. That isn't it great that they just say exactly what they think. And it's into that world of unkindness and harm and pain that we go into this text today, into the series going about growing up, but how do we spiritually mature? How do we grow up past that childhood self, past that child, um, that immature faith? How do we get ourselves into God's spirit and walk and live in the spirit so that we grow up into people who exude kindness and goodness? What does it mean to be a Christ follower called to be kind and good in a world that escalates into more and more hate. Now, I want to start by distinguishing something. Uh, the difference in kindness and niceness. Because I, just to give you a little glimpse of my background, I think maybe my only rule, or the rule that I heard the most, was just be nice. That if you could just at least live that rule, everything was okay. Just, just be nice. And what's the difference between being nice and being kind? And since I've, I've lived in the South, I feel like I can say this expression and then expand it. But you can have Southern hospitality that is really nice, that as soon as someone walks out of the room, who knows what the conversation turns to? And that's not just Southern hospitality. There's something in that in all of us that we can put on niceness as this outward expression, I can do something that's nice, but there's an internal motivation difference with kindness, that kindness comes from a place of wanting what's best for someone else, that cares about other people and then acts accordingly. And so when you care for someone and you help them or you're generous or you're patient with them, you are kind when you do that coming from that place of caring. And so kindness comes from a good place, a place of benevolence that just exudes from us into the world. And um, if you follow, if we're friends on Facebook, you might have seen that I've made a post this week. Uh, every once in a while I like to do a little post that's going to be connected to the sermon. Um, but I just ask people to respond to the phrase, kill them with kindness. Because it's a phrase that gets thrown around, even made into pop songs uh, it, it's a little bit all over the place. But how does that make you respond? And I think that as I was working through that, I think what I was realizing was, I think that phrase 
would be more accurate of kill them with kindness, or kill them with niceness, not kindness. Because really what it's getting at is if I'm just nice to them enough, I can beat them, I can overcome them, I can, I can win this dispute if I'm just nice enough. But kindness is like, I don't, I don't want to see you as the other that I'm, in, I'm, I'm in fighting with, but that we're, we're going at something together. Of we're looking for harmony. We're looking for uh, unity. I'm not looking for your death or demise, but I'm looking to lift you up instead of tear you down. And what does it mean to be good and kind? And I think we have to start by asking, what does it mean for God to be good and to be kind? Because that's actually not a given. Not everyone has encountered, even within Christianity, the faith that our God is actually good and kind. We have often given people instead that God is angry and judgmental as what is most essentially who God is. And you might have heard me give this, ex- this example. You'll probably hear me give the example again. But much of our culture in American Christianity is shaped by those who have gone before us, such as Jonathan Edwards, the preacher from the Great Awakening, who preached in 1741 this famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, in which, if I scare you enough about the hellish reality that might be, maybe you might choose goodness. And I've experienced enough of that in my own upbringing. Um, church life in which uh, there was a traveling play called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And they put you in a room and people would die. The whole show was more people dying. Sometimes they died and there was a bright light and happy singing. Sometimes there was this red-suited, horned Satan figure coming up and laughing and leading you to pain and torture. And the whole point of this thing is to say, I don't want torture. I must need to do something else. And here's how Jonathan Edwards said it. Again, not my words. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times so abominable in his eyes as the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. Even if we don't hear that in that kind of explicit language, though that actually still does exist for some people, we have inherited that fear that God, you know, when you get under it, maybe God just doesn't like me. Maybe God is vengeful you know, and, and hateful and, and how on earth could I stand up to God? I don't think, though, that's the God that we often see in our Bible. The angry God that we've inherited. Um, listen to the kind God of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God makes me lie down in green pastures. God leads me beside still waters. God restores my soul. God leads me in right paths for his namesake. 
God guides me to green pastures, to calm waters, to restoration, to righteousness. And I love that the psalm, though there are many psalms that do this, but this psalm holds off on that. It's not a psalm that talks about the eradication of all of my enemies or of all of those dark, gloomy days, but that God can walk you even through the dark valleys. God can seat you even amongst enemies, and God can be good and kind despite the unkind world around us. What does it mean to follow God? I love this quote, Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and kindness shall follow me all of the days of my life. Now, um, our NRSV translation, if you read that verse, probably says, uh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And it has a little footnote, or kindness. In the background of that word, it's a really important word in the Bible. Uh, it's the Hebrew word chesed. It's a word that means too much for us to convey in English. Um, but the old way of translating it was that compound word, loving hyphen kindness. That God has some sort of covenantal relationship where God cares and is faithful and is kind and is good and is merciful. And that's the kind of attachment which God has for you. And everywhere God goes, that goodness and kindness follows. And if that's the case, then shouldn't we reciprocate that? If kindness and goodness follows even us, even when we are tempted to be unkind, don't we have a responsibility to be good and be kind to others? I love uh, Proverbs 14.31 says this, Those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but those who are kind to the needy honor him. And I think that it captures that, that thought of when we are kind and good, we are kind and good to the maker of all, not just to the person in front of us. In our series, we've been talking through Paul and Galatians, and I, I, I stepped over a book to Ephesians to kind of capture what, what the fruit of the spirits of, of, of kindness and goodness looks like. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is pleading for people to live out the unity of Christ. He does the body of Christ imagery. He talks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And as a part of that, he goes on to talk about how we should talk and how we should act in the world. Listen again to it. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ has forgiven you. If God is forgiving and loving and good and kind, we should be the most grateful, the most forgiving, the most loving, the most good, the most kind, that anyone meets and interacts with where they stop and they say, what on earth just happened? Who is that person? Why are they so kind? 
Why are they so good? What is going on? What does the fruit of the Spirit look like? It looks like kindness and goodness, both in action and in words. Our words matter, and our actions matter. Instead of causing harm, what are we doing to cause healing and goodness and kindness? I'm going to talk a little bit about words for a second. I talked about how we kind of celebrate unkindness. We don't necessarily call it out that that's what we're doing, but we often do. In your life, you might hear someone say something. They might tell you, hey, you shouldn't have said that. that that's kind of offensive, or that might offend somebody. Now, there's a temptation to not listen and to just assume I'm right, my words don't hurt anyone, you shouldn't be offended, and just end the conversation there. Or you can invite yourself into a conversation, into listening, into learning. What pain is there? Like, what pain am I missing that I don't hear when I say this? How do you hear this? And to enter into a conversation about that. Now, there's some things that we don't understand because of our own cultural experience. For me, as a white guy, I don't understand the pains as much as someone who's a person of color, someone who's a woman. I have to learn from those experiences and those conversations and those relationships to hear where is hurt, where are things that I need to be more gentle and say with more kindness. Sometimes it's not racial things. Um, Sometimes it's just topics that hurt people. You know, it's people who say, hey, I really can't talk about this because you're about to take me to some trauma in my life. So, um, as an example, we, um, we did a SWAT training, because that's the world we live in, in college, where we had to talk about if there's an active shooter, what do you do? Because instead of learning, that's what we have to deal with. And somebody said, you know, I can't do this training. I can't talk about gun violence. I can't talk about gun stuff. Because their dad had, had died from gun violence. And you could say, hey, toughen up. You've got to be able to be trained to know how to do this thing. Go be in that. Or you could say, I'm so sorry to hear that. I don't want to subject you to this. Because I don't know what your body remembers about this pain that just talking about it, just being involved in something like this might cause you harm. And so some people hear when someone says, hey, I'm triggered by this, please, can we not talk about this topic? Of, hey, I can't talk about rape. I can't talk about abuse. It might be because they are legitimately harmed. And yet sometimes people feel like we should be just dismissive of it. They should be the ones to toughen up. You might hear someone call them in a derogatory way, a snowflake. Maybe you've heard that in the news. That they're too fragile to handle a conversation. They're too easily offended or hurt. But I need you to hear me that the person who is fragile is the one who isn't strong enough to look with kindness on their neighbor. It is easy to be hurtful. It is easy to cause pain. It is hard to be good and to be kind. 
it is a harder route to learn that my words and my actions are sometimes unkind, are sometimes hurtful, even when I don't intend them to be. How can we examine ourselves to see where we can still grow in our kindness and our goodness? I, you'll, you'll hear me talk about this a lot, but everyone in, our, everyone in our experience has been pained. You've been hurt by someone. And you can either transform that pain into something good and to use it, or you can transfer it by hurting other people. And I think that what I've learned from kindness and unkindness, um, you know, people use harsh words, and you're hard, it's hard to get past those words. When I started, I talked about, I'm sure you can remember when someone offended you, when someone called you a name. And, you know, when someone invokes my deceased father to say he would be disappointed in me, those kinds of things stick with you. Even when you know they're not true, that pain stays there. But how can we learn not to pass that pain on but to turn it into empathy, where now I understand what it's like to be harmed, to be, to be un, someone's unkind to you, I can understand it, I can empathize, I can feel your pain, and we can hurt together on the path to kindness and goodness and transformation and healing. When I think of kindness, maybe if I pause for a second and I think, I open that up to you of when you think of kindness, who comes up in your mind? It might be a family member, it might be a friend, a coworker, a church family member. When I think of kindness, I can't help but think of Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers, right? However um, you, you know his name, whether Fred Rogers or Mr. Rogers, I'm going to go with Mr. Rogers. He was someone who, with the gentleness of his voice and tone, with the kindness of his care for people, that even children matter, those children grow up into adults, that everyone matters, and he cared that you knew that you were important to him, and so he would come home into his little show, take the coat off, put on the sweater vest, get casual and relaxed to say, this is a safe space to have a conversation about things that matter. He spoke from a place of pain. Um, you might not know that he grew up with all sort of sickness. Uh, he was kind of confined to his room and his bed a lot. Uh, at one point in his life, he was perceived as more overweight than normal and was made fun of and ridiculed for it. And so his place of compassion and for care for kids that were hurt came from his own experience. And you might not know also that he was an ordained minister. He graduated from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, and his life mission was to help everyone know that they are loved and deserve to be treated with dignity, and that they should then treat others with dignity. And he had a song, he had a song for everything, right? But he had a song that, that tried to get at the fact that each person is important, that each person is special, and deserves dignity. And he sang the song on various occasions. He tweaked the lyrics to fit that context. But in his last commencement address, he was talking to college graduates, and he sang, 
It's you I like. It's not the things that you wear. It's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your caps and gowns, they're just beside you, but it's you I like. Every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new, I hope that you remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like, it's you, yourself, it's you, it's you I like. And Mr. Rogers went on to explain to those graduates what he meant. He said, you don't ever have to do anything sensational for people to love you. When I say it's you I like, I'm talking about that part of you that knows that life is far more than anything that you can see or hear or touch. That deep part of you that allows you to stand for those things without which humankind cannot survive. Love that conquers hate peace that triumphs over war, justice that proves more powerful than greed. A message that we always need, that every single person deserves our kindness, no matter whether we think they deserve it or not, they do. Can we take those eyes with us into the world, looking at the humanity of the person in front of us, not knowing what harmed them on their journey, but finding a shared common experience and looking for goodness and kindness together. The world, and certainly the church, should always be a safe space to be kind because the God of all is one who is good and is kind. It is okay to be kind. So how will we respond? Every week in this series on growing up, I pause to say, you can't just start trying to be kind on your own. Part of it is about going into prayer, into worship, into service, and living and walking with the God who is kind and good that ultimately grows up from us and matures in us where what do you know Somehow I'm a little more kind or a little bit more good, and I don't know how it happened other than just being close to the God who is kind and good. And so maybe we need to go to that space today to rest in the kindness and goodness of God. But after we pray and after we worship, can we get back up again and join in the mission for a kinder, a better world? Would you join me in prayer? Lord, some people are in this room who don't feel like they deserve to be loved, who have been hurt by the world around them, who feel small. Lord, I hope and I pray that you would help them to see that they are beautiful, that they are good, that your work in them is transforming them even more into the beauty and peace and love that you call us to. That we are all God's children. Lord, I pray for each of us in our room that we might think about the fact that we are not quite done with this transformation. 
and that there are still moments in which we are unkind, where we don't have the best interest of others in our hearts, where we don't try to lift people up, but we cut them down, where we look at them and we ridicule them, we laugh them off, we dismiss them. Lord, turn our eyes into yours, our hearts into yours. Help us to love, help us to be kind, help us to be good. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.